Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. Matthew Cowell is doing unique work. I first met Matthew at South by Southwest in all of the interesting Music Cities conversations where he is creating some really interesting spaces between live events and the art of mass gatherings, festivals, large events, and it's his unique journey of getting through in, into that space, along with emergency management services. So how we are using mass gatherings to train and inform emergency response and emergency response to think about ways to engage the community and the arts community in recovering from mass disasters. So this is a a different lens on some of our innovation conversations. And I would like you to listen to this podcast episode, but think about how this might connect to your own local community. And if you'd like to get involved in some of this work that Matthew is engaged with. So enjoy this episode and think locally about these same issues in your own community. created this Majestic Collaborations company? That's right. My wife and I um, formed it after uh, we'd both uh, left some previous work. I was an event producer for a new Belgian brewing company for 11 years and produced about 120 festivals around the country as a creative director and also did the sustainability and uh, um, power systems and uh, uh, coordinated the um, the collaborative uh, shows. We had a lot of uh, performers that that made this bicycle uh, experience come true in these cities. We had about 5,000 to 25,000 people per city around the country. And in the years that I did, we had maybe a million people through it and raised $5 million for bicycle advocacy with these, these events. And my wife was a transportation planner, uh, was for the city of Fort Collins, helped get them to platinum uh, certification as a bike city and then she was the director of bike denver and we both left our work a little bit brokenhearted about some ways things can kind of go and uh you know mine was around working for uh, a, an alcohol company when the founder left the place um changed in a lot of ways and the festival that had been a free bicycle oriented festival turned into a, a paid beer oriented festival and didn't really sit well with me. And we went to Standing Rock and thought we'd just cook and, and help out. Um, it was felt important to us. And when I got there, I saw this real correlation between um, this 15,000 person gathering in the Dakotas and, and the, vest, the festivals that I'd produced through the years and saw that the waste, water, and power systems were very similar. My wife and I worked on some plans there for uh, power and food and medical tents to to um, be a little more operationally thought out, but it was a very collaborative area. You know, this wasn't the place to just come in with the ideas to tell everybody what to do. It, it was much more based in a consensus decision making and having grown up in a Quaker peace activist family that felt pretty right to me. I just started this idea um, germinating at that point with my wife about how we might take that information that we'd learned about throwing these large events and help create an experiential way to share that knowledge um, 
and learn more ourselves. So Majestic Collaborations was born out of that. And our first contracts came from the city of Denver, hired me as a consultant with the Denver Music Strategy, which was released a couple of years ago. I got to come in at the tail end of that and, and help get that um, document and grant um, released and now um, help administer the Denver Music Advancement Fund. And um, uh, I've gotten to um, experience a lot of this Music Cities um, network and community and, and gone to some of those with uh, Sound Diplomacy. I helped them produce their Lafayette, Louisiana event. And then we got another contract from Factor, which is Canada's music agency to help produce some music um, uh, trade mission to Colorado. So I put together um, this this touring show of, of Canadian and American bands and helped uh, business um, interface with each other across the, um, with the consulate. That was a real uh, fun experience too. So we're looking forward to the further work with the Mellon Foundation. Uh, we're, we presented a uh, proposal for a three-year grant that um, we're hopeful to get to use festivals around the country as classrooms and emergency preparedness. And we just presented a couple of those first conferences here, and they went great. Wow, that's an awful lot. It's a, it almost didn't breathe between sentences there. There's so uh, much great stuff packed into that all. But, but it, I, I'm fascinated because... You know, we all, based on our past experiences, will look at the same thing and see it differently. Mm -hmm. So um, people look at festivals all the time and, and what's been up till recently a growth mode and look at it from a brand lens or from a, a, a performer lens or you look at it from a human, a gathering lens. And it is it just i shouldn't say just because having so many years of producing so many festivals and events with that um, sustainability lens takes you there were there earlier parts of your life that shown a lens you mentioned your quaker upbringing on why you look at a mass gathering the way that you frame it um and see that as the opportunity versus what other people see Wow. Well, it's so nice to talk with you about this stuff. I feel like we've had some great conversations as, as musicians and as, and as um, humanitarians. And I, for me, a lot of it came out of um, being a little warped by the, and, and inspired by the songs that I, my dad would sing to us when we were kids going to bed. And we would always request the longest one that he knew, which was the Ballad of Tom Joad. And it was the Grapes of Wrath all kind of summed up into this harrowing 12 verse song. And I, I felt like through the years of my teenage and 20s and 30s that there's this sort of area, this feeling of everything's just going to be great and everything's fine. And I felt called more towards um, thinking about the Dust Bowl and thinking about migration and thinking about security of families and, and that sort of stuff. And not in like a depressing way, I've really felt drawn to the potential for humans to get through really hard times using this sort of music and, and um, gathering with food and, um, and stories. And so I, I guess I felt um, a bit of an existential um, ennui about, uh, you know, the entertainment industry just being to perpetuate these fame um, 
uh, worship things. I've really found it like really wanted to go the other way with these, these groups. And when I saw what you could do for bicycle advocacy and talk to 10,000 people at a time and be like, Hey, this person just traded their car for a bicycle. Isn't they, aren't they amazing? And thousands of people be like, that's amazing. Well, let's make a tunnel of love and let this person experience, you know, their commitment, you know, you're, you're witnessing it. That kind of stuff gave me a little clue about the potential of music and gatherings to be for something other than making a famous person more rich and famous. Gatherings. So we live in a streaming age where people are having a lot of consumption at home. And then we're seeing all sorts of fascinating things happening in terms of live performance. What, what did you, what are you seeing? I'm trying to sort of think how I want to frame this. You're having the lens of having come from uh, a long-term engagement with a, a convening, with a gathering and its change in its character to now in your, your current role to work with many events and organizations. What are you seeing as to how we are moving forward as a culture with thinking about live gatherings? Well, a couple points might come to mind. I think that the way that you gather or convene just an airplane before it takes off and you think of Southwest Airlines using humor and careful when opening overhead bins, shift happens and um, you're the one on the exit row, do you understand your roles, et cetera. Those are the things that we would do on an airplane before we take off and we don't do much like that before we initiate a gathering of people to talk about exits or safety or harm reduction or any of that stuff. Um, and so I think there's a real opportunity in the future for those sort of things to be made more um, engaging and effective. Um, I think that the the way that um, that brands interface with people there could get a lot smarter and a lot more interesting. I mean, Southwest Airlines would be a great airline to be talking to um, music fans in terms of saying, hey, we're an airline that has no change fees. And hence, you'll notice many artists love to use us in case they want to stay in town longer or leave earlier. And um, how can we talk to an audience at these things in a way that... Um, is more authentic to their brand and, and, and create something a little deeper of a connection. I think energy companies like Excel Energy in Colorado have opportunities to talk about the way events are powered. Um, I think that those things are on the future. I don't know what else is there. I mean, obviously, like Malcolm Gladwell's uh, interview with the AT&T marketing guy talking about 5G moving at the speed of human thought, that if you imagine being thousands of miles away, but the things you see and touch digitally are, or, you know, there's no latency. I don't know what that kind of stuff will, will change for us. Um, yeah. Should, what do you think about? Well, I'm, I'm thinking about the fact we oftentimes don't think about it or we don't talk about it. Right. Um, so that there are specialties. I mean, I, I, I teach a live performance fairly new class at UCLA to talk about what really is the nature of the human engagement when we gather live and um, how much that still is almost raw material that the, the sense of what we can do with on, on the, I was going to say the mundane side, but the technological part, whether it's having the right connectivity and how that actually en enables people to interact with each other, but also the fact that it, it is a human 
actually let me back up half his time. And I worked at Disneyland for a while. So I tend to think about pre-shows and, and how we are kind of creating decoding of an experience right. when you're coming in. And a lot of that is not necessarily a language, but it's a language that's different for different conveners of events. But it's what I find interesting about the lens of your work. It's also could be the lens of thinking about these things for people who are designing emergency response and having one environment inform the other in an era where we see anything from, you know, major fires, floods, earthquakes, where we're having to respond with no notice, lots of hopeful planning, and a similar intent on creating life-changing convenings. I'm just fascinated that that's some of the lens of your work. Well, yeah, I'm fascinated by it too and scared and humbled and like excited. I really think that cities facing big changes like mass migration from climate change are going to need to have some chances before those things are upon them to have practiced something. And I've been thinking of it as radical hospitality. And the place that has inspired me a bit with that has been Lafayette, Louisiana, and studying a bit of how they accepted um, many, many refugees from Katrina, if that's the right word, um, and uh, many of whom who stayed, um, but that town went through a lot, and uh, they, they purchased a lot of guns and ammo and had a lot of fear in the beginning. Um, then the violence that was anticipated didn't come to pass, and a lot of the people that stayed transformed that community in a positive way and we're using public transportation and we're raising property values and making skilled labor more available. And so they were, um, it's like the relativity Einstein would say, I know a minute on a hot stove feels like an hour and an hour with a beautiful lover feels like a minute. And I think cities can have a similar kind of experience relative to how they're feeling about being beset upon or, you know, infused in a positive way. And to then be thinking underneath of that are the mundane mechanics, right? So mm. sewage, water, communication, uh, power, human connection, health and safety. The role of arts uh, and recovery. Can you talk about that more? Yeah. Um, well, I think w when I went to the National Endowment for the Arts and, and we – witnessed the presentation of the um, Ella project from New Orleans. They just did a great job in, in showing what the invisible infrastructure of performing arts, how apparent it becomes after so much is wiped away and how it really becomes something more like a lifeline for people who are staying in an area after disaster or have been moved to a new area. And that, that, that kind of connection through art and present um, and sharing, um, is so much more um, important than people might think. Um, I was in Vermont a couple of weeks ago and they had um, Hurricane or uh, Irene that really strained their communities and I saw the art that came out of it at the Chandler Performing Arts Center and was really like, this is amazing. Um, I, think that, I think that we've only, yeah, who knows how important it's going to be as we um, think about portability of self and these sort of things as people might be needing to move a lot more than they have in, in any history that we know of. Can you expand on portability of self? I think I understand it to be that it's, uh, it's kind of a part of the Music City's 
ethos of saying you have these artistic communities, creative communities, and um, part of what makes people resilient is if they can move to new areas and have um, their vocation and their identity and personal connections, like how can they, how can they have some, some resilience of that? And, and that's something that, that gets built in with, with time and resources and, and that, 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 that cities can kind of help or hurt the, the progress of, of their citizens and their, or their residents and in, in developing that. And um, it's kind of, I don't know, have you heard of the term before? I have, but not necessarily engaged with thinking about civic design or civic intentionality. And um, I'm fascinated, and we've had some conversations and some folks on the podcast talking about the the world between cities, the fact that that there's so many uh, emerging sort of civic action things happening, but really different in different communities for artist support but maybe not thinking necessarily about about the, I, I kind of want to say migrant artists, but that's not the right framing, about the fact that, I mean, I think of my mother's era, that it was a big deal that she lived in three different communities and um, over time and moved from one to the other and massive upheaval of her life and, and bring up her kids and the community she's part of. And now you talk to, you know, someone in their 20s and they think nothing of, of not owning physical objects and moving from place to place all the time, but we're not necessarily designing for that and mm -hmm. designing our cultural support systems. But some cities are doing a phenomenal job of that, but I shouldn't say cities because in many ways it's not necessarily the city's job. It's a lot of cig civic engagement and emergent structures. This could be a conversation all by itself. And this is some of the stuff that we're kind of working on a bit right now because there's all this great city work happening and I'm really fascinated by the intra-city work, the, the fact that you've got uh, groups of creators that are moving from city to city and having to decode a new environment and the audience that needs to figure out, well, what is my community here? What is my human engagement to offset what is now being reported more and more as increased isolated and isolation and loneliness? When there's so much else that's going on on the flip side, it, it, to me it's a really fascinating set of questions about what is the, sorry, this gets so, uh, I should say, nerdy or in the weeds, but what is the, the act of being human in a highly digital, hyper-connected age, and the arts are really holding an interesting space in all of that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it's not necessarily by intent. And this is where I'm fascinated by your lens of actually framing some of this around co-learning, around um, helping civic forces think intentionally about some of this stuff and helping to have, a, have funders who also would like to help with this to kind yeah. of create a new vocabulary. Well, let's try, huh? I think, I think what I learned a lot at, at the Tour de Fat at it was how really talented humans can be and individuals can have specialized just i mean it's sort of fat we're talking about like the world's best yo-yoer and the world's best paddleballer and guys from blue man group who are just hilarious and couples who juggle bananas with their mouths and people who make custom bicycles and women who can bend steel and um 
I think putting together the right kind of menagerie or, or helping kind of curate, uh, um, giving everybody a, a, a lane that they can be the expert in is really the only way that um, that worked. And I think moving forward with, um, we know that people have siloed off learning a lot. That's sort of what we saw from like the Sapiens book that came out was just pointing towards how, how humans have, have excelled in these sort of specializations, but that these things that can cross um, communicate and music being just this wonderful uh device to do that um that's really where with all the information and all of the specialization that we have we kind of need more people able to um manifest some bridges so you had a bit of a bridge i think last month uh, we're now in early october 2019 and you had a conference on the art of mass gathering in september we did. We had one then, and that was like the workshop, and then the big symposium was, uh, um, I believe, in May during Pride Fest in Denver. So what are the tools and vocabulary you're bringing to these conversations? So one framework is sort of based on the salt, fat, acid, heat that Nusrat, um, uh, Samin Nusrat, who's a brilliant chef, came up with. And she said, all the cuisines of the world are are united in this uh, kind of balancing of salt, fat, acid, heat. And if you want to get good at it, you need to kind of practice your chops. And so she gives you these recipes to practice how to use heat or how to make a Caesar dressing and taste it to make sure it has the right kind of, you know, saltiness and things like that. So I love cooking and had a bit of a, a corollary idea about a really great event um, gathering is uh, balances safety, sustainability, community relationships, and accessibility. A lot of those things are quite resource dependent. And um, you'll see festival like Pride Fest would have, say they have 500,000 people gather in downtown Denver and their community relationships are amazing. They've got hundreds of volunteers who show up year after year and they take stop the bleed trainings and they take AED trainings and mental health first aid. And they all are these force magnifiers for their um, safety and their safety plan goes back prior to um, 9-11 because Pride Fests have been facing you know, violent prejudice for a long time and so their safety is tight their community relationships are tight their accessibility is really excellent they have um you know make uh make it easy for um performers that are in wheelchairs to participate and sign language interpreters and multilingual um but their sustainability you know there's no three stream recycling and it's hard to do um, refillable water stations. It just, maybe it's a resource thing. So the vernacular there is around having event producers kind of do a mental checklist of how is my safety, sustainability, what community relationships and, and accessibility, you know, what's a five, what's a four, what's a three, two, one sort of framework. Um, and then we had content specialists talk about each one of those areas. We had the head of Denver Fire and um, paramedics come out and talk about um, emergency plans and, and how many AEDs and first aid responders you need. We had a, um, one of the directors of Mojo come out and show how Mojo Barrier works. We had... Um, what, what is Mojo Barrier? Mojo Barrier is that um, kind of a metal L that stands up about... Um, shoulder height that goes in front of stages and keeps people from rushing a stage. It can also get used in other kind of crowd control 
And um, it's one of the ways, it's one of the kind of Legos in the event producers, um, you know, site build that helps them um, manage crowd flow and put moats down the middle so that people can get in and out and security has access. They're, they're one of those um, kind of structural pieces people can see over but are difficult to climb over. Ah, uh, okay. The mojo. The mojo. Kind of like Kleenex. Like a- There's other... <laughs> <laughs> other brands do it so that you're you're gathering people around the questions and as you say sharing mental models or mental checklists but you're also then looking at the art side in terms of civic engagement post tragedy how what type of work are you doing in that regard so the the person i would point to as a real luminary thinker about some of the um portability of self and post um um like archiving, she's uh, Jesse De La Cruz with Archive has developed this um, archiving model that's per, that's excellent to help citizen archivists think about how you could help people in your own community, whether it's a brother, sister, son, daughter, or even yourself, come up with time capsules that make a little easier of a time to capture some pieces of your work. And it's really helpful in cases of displacement. Denver was um, hit with some tragic suicides and, and and the community was really feeling like they needed some more ways to help gather that person's art and music and, and into those spaces, you know, these, these archivists and, and people with MLSs, master of library science to me seem like kind of modern day um, Jedi's of, of thinking about the future. Like you'd think of these, archivist preservationists has really be oriented towards the past, but I think they're, they're future thinking as well. And um, into the recovery and response, I think that's probably one of our more, we, we talked about that a little less at the Art of Mass Gatherings. We had um, harm reduction, looking at drug and gender violence, um, and a duty of care legal expert, um, Steve Adelman was out to present. We had um, uh, conversations about informal spaces and immersive theater and safety considerations um, in areas where you don't really have a proscenium and, uh, and the performers are mingling with people. Um, and then kind of Airbnb concerts and these sort of like disruptive thoughts of how or disruptive um, models for um, presenting concerts without having any sort of permit or anything like that. Um, The recovery and post disaster response GG is, is, um, is something I'm really curious about. My wife and I just took a community resilience course with FEMA and uh, part of the tabletop exercise was looking at you roll the dice and you get a city. We got Honolulu. You roll the dice and you get a, a combination earthquake tsunami and then you think about all these buildings being uninhabitable where are people going to gather it's going to be in these public spaces if they're not leaving who knows how to run and set up a temporary city in these public spaces to vent producers um that that kind of stuff is really kind of on the tip of of uh of the spear right now and so i'm calling out for collaborators so if someone does does find any piece of this work engaging and would like to think about this with their existing community, how would you suggest that they get started other than reach out to you? But what are the core things to maybe look at or, or think about if they're thinking about this locally? There's the performing arts readiness organization 
um, that is funded by Mellon, and they have some grants available for community networking. And I would definitely um, look to see what gets on board in 2020. Um, they just um, uh, are twilighted a three-year grant and are, are hopeful for another one. I think Performing Arts Readiness is doing great stuff. They have online webinars available that you can um, look at arts and, um, and arts and resilience and recovery, um, networking, uh, how to look at your own venues, emergency plan, and those are all free webinars. Highly recommend those. Um, I think that uh, there's, you know, the, taking FEMA courses on ICS and some of the stuff you and I've talked about for people that really want to fortify their, their skills in, in emergencies there, there are some ways set up to do that. And, um, and let me back up half a step. So FEMA yeah. is the U S federal emergency management association. No administration. Yep. Oh, what is ICS? That's the incident command system. And it's a, protocol and series and um and uh and 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 systems with a lot of its own vernacular it's not super complicated but it's definitely helpful to take that if you're going to be in a community um leadership role with um with with a disaster so um how would how would people reach out to you to work with your organization and what type of work are you now working on moving forward? So in Colorado, we have the Arts and Cultural Network for Emergency Response, and it's a questionnaire that asks organizations to um, let us know how they're doing with their emergency preparedness and then what they would most like help with. And that um, um, you can be confined at arts and venues, Denver Arts and Venues. Um, and then Majestic Collaborations is, is our um, consulting company, and you can find us at that.com. And Performing Arts Readiness is, uh, is easy to find. And um, the Art of Mass Gatherings is something worth Googling and, and checking out the blogs and some of the past um, events. There's some learning outcomes there that we've spent some good time on. My wife, Molly North, and I, I, could, I um, appreciate a lot of her work in helping create some real clear learning outcomes for each of the, um, the topic areas. And that's something um, we feel real open about trying to make sure that it's not like a proprietary thing and that it, that it, that it's, um, it can move as fast as people want to um, take it up and modify it in their own um, iterative way. So we are getting near the end of our conversation. What have we not talked about that you would want to make sure that our audience now and in the future would think about in terms of the questions that you put lenses on? Um, I think one real exciting thing that I've just seen and would love some more folks thinking about and looking at is that in the 2018 um, FEMA um, update there's in section one two three four there's a six percent allocation to communities to do um preventative and and um mediation and and educational opportunities i think that that could be a really uh wonderful place for us to all uh put some thought into what our communities might do to develop some of these um trainings and it's really as simple as 
having people who are excellent event producers share what they know with other people and to learn from other people in the emergency management sphere. So each one, teach one. The idea there is that uh, we don't all have to reinvent the wheel, th that these large gatherings have created temporary cities many, many times before, and how can we start to uh, cross-pollinate with each other. Um, Denver is excited to host the Music Cities 2020 here and look at um, what Colorado has brought to the Music Cities conversation. Lisa Goddess with Create Denver has put together an amazing plan. Uh, Bryce Merrill and Jesse Elliott um, participated, Michael Seaman, in creating a very unique music cities or uh, music strategy. One of the only ones I know of, by the way, that also includes one of its five tenets as being emergency preparedness. So this has really given a great home to the work of emergency preparedness that both Lisa was working on before I got here and what the Mellon Foundation has brought and then what this new Art of Mass Gatherings thing has brought. So Denver's a real epicenter for the um, fusing emergency preparedness into the music strategy conversation in ways that other places have not. And so, um, shout not, out. Not for yet. That. Not yet. Not yet. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's right on the tip. It's gotta be because the fat's in the fire right now. We've got to yeah. start making some more adjacencies in music cities, um, programs that really looked about at how to get more people into the sort of making a full living with music is, um, is a little different than what we are looking at right now, you know, and uh, I would also throw one more thing um, if we have a moment, mm -hmm. Gigi, is yeah. that in that 6% uh, allocation that FEMA is looking for for emergency preparedness across the board, um, what about using some of that money to fortify bricks and mortar venues, whether they're um, music venues or performing arts centers or galleries to help them get more prepared to host people. When I spoke to an emergency manager of Denver, he said that Denver's one of their main goals was to get from 0.1 to 1% shelter in place capacity, right? So that could be accomplished perhaps by helping these venues get their roofs fixed, get handicap accessibility, sprinkler systems, food preparation areas. And what I, my hope is, is that that could help build resilience and um, not just for disasters, but also resilience in our arts and cultural community. Because in London, they lost like half their music venues in however many years. There's these real phenomenons of, uh, sad phenomenon of, of music venues getting closed at, as, as areas gentrify. And so, um, you know, wheelchair ramp um, construction or, or sprinkler system could be uh, a burden that a venue wasn't able to bear. So I could really see this coming in and help these venues across the country, small ones, medium sized too, be a part of a shelter in place opportunity for cities that, um, that need them. And if someone would like to not just read your great websites that you're engaged with, but reach out to you directly, how would you like them to reach out? Matthew at MajesticCollaborations.com. Well, Matthew, thank you very much for being part of the podcast. I know you and I have talked for a bit and whether my finding your work at South by Southwest and your joining in the convenings uh, that we've been doing with the Amplify Music in Los Angeles staff and being willing to be on our, our, uh, our live online session that we did. Appreciate all of the work you're doing and look forward to following and, and uh, connecting with your adventures in the future. It's so mutual, Gigi. I really think that, um, that your brilliance, um, curiosity, 
and knowledge is something that's a real gift out there. And I wish we lived closer and could play some music together. Absolutely. So I guess my last question is, what are you playing now? Well, I was asked to help write music for a Chicano um, political historical musical. And uh, that is going to be on its feet again here pretty soon at El Centro Su Teatro in Denver. And uh, it has a cast of young folks singing these songs. I wrote most of the songs for this musical and I was honored. My old Chicano studies professor liked my band, the reels, and he had us um, make music for that. Um, I still perform with that band and there's a record out called majestic that is on iTunes and Spotify. And I'm real happy about my sister and I recorded that. It's been geez about 15 years, but I think that record has a kind of liquid Colorado folky dust bowl rock in a bottle so i don't know i'm just I, I love playing music and 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 thinking about how to um bring it into the presentations that i do it's been real scary but i bring a guitar now when i do my kind of ted talky stuff and 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 figure that music should be in the room while we're talking about creative stuff if you can if you can do it why not excellent well thanks for bringing music into the room with us today should have brought a guitar, huh? Next well, time. Next time. <laughs> thanks a lot. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.